0: Hello and welcome back to Beyond Boards, a podcast dedicated to the actions and interests of skaters beyond skateboarding. My guest today, Jan Kriver, grew up and started skating in Göttingen, Germany in the late 80s. He moved to Berlin in his early 20s and started skating for the famous Lyon-based board brand Cliché as it was getting more and more international acclaim. In the following years, Jan got on the Globe Europe team, switched from Cliché to the Spanish brand Jarts and became a father. In the early 2010s, he slowly retired from pro skating and transitioned into journalism, becoming the German editor of European skate mag Kingpin. As the mag was slowly shutting down, Jan transitioned into his next project and joined forces with Yamato Living Ramps, which builds and designs original custom concrete skate parks all over Germany, where he's still working today. So here's my conversation with Jan, I hope you'll enjoy it. start with the same question basic question with everybody and just ask you know my guest how he or she started skating and so yeah can you tell me about maybe picking up your first board I read somewhere that you were born in Hanover is that where you grew up
1: no, I mean, I was born in Hanover, but uh, moved to a town like an hour south from there, pretty much uh, straight away. And that's where I grew up. The town is called Göttingen, uh, it's just a student town, university mainly. Not too much else going on, but it's been a nice place to grow up. And uh, yeah, when I got into skating, there was like the city hall square or whatever, the, the, like the plaza in front of the city hall that was pretty legit to skate for the time. Mm-hmm. And that's basically where I did a lot of my early skating, I would say, not where I started. I mean, I started like in my by my house like with a bunch of friends, and the local hero uh, happened to come uh, from like a couple of streets away, and I, one day I saw him and like his friends skate a jump ramp or just skate down the hill or whatever i don't know i don't really re- really remember even, but I was pretty blown away by that and uh,
0: do you remember how old you were? <sighs>
1: Must have been, I don't know, eight or nine or something.
0: Okay, so that's like mid-80s that mid around there?
1: Mid to late 80s, yeah.
0: And do you remember maybe like um, the first skate video that she watched or the first magazine that she you got your hands on? But that must have come a bit later, I guess.
1: Uh, I I still remember uh, the first uh, German monster magazine I had in my hands, uh, and I still remember uh, watching the first skate videos, but I never had, like, a VCR back then. Like, my parents didn't want us to uh, consume too much, like, TV and stuff, and, uh, I mean... They tried to at least a long time ago, but uh, yeah, it it took me a long time to convince them to buy a VCR. But um, yeah, anyway, like the first skate videos I I watched uh, at a skate shop. There was like this one dude in my town that was, uh, I don't know, popped up like selling boards from his trunk and then later on he found a place somewhere to open a small skate shop and then he moved to several different uh, locations but that we would always go there and uh, hang out and uh, I don't know watch his uh, skate videos and um, I don't know I spent my pocket money uh, buying like 10 centimeter sheets of grip tape like colored grip tape or stickers and stuff like that so (laughs) yeah And
0: um, we'll talk about that later, I guess. But uh, I know that you've been living in Berlin for quite a long time. I was just curious to know when you moved out there and what decided you to move to Berlin
1: uh that's uh, quite a while after i mean i um i grew up in that town Göttingen. skated there a bunch i mean until i was like i don't know 20 or something i would say and then my girlfriend i always kind of wanted to to leave but i first i thought i'd move to cologne because that was like a big place for german skateboarding at the time Mm mm-hmm but for some reason, I didn't do that. And my, then my, my girlfriend went to a town called Bremen in the north of Germany to study. And at the time, I had like a, my first sponsors. And some of them were located in Berlin, and also like a good friend of mine that I met quite a while before, but like an early influence, Lenny Burmeister, right, uh, yes. had moved to Berlin, and yeah, so I, I first I, I visited him, and like this other guy, Robert Stoje, that had like a, a clothing company at the time that we both skated for, and uh, yeah, I would crash on on those guys couch a lot and Mm -hmm. i don't know from there stayed longer and longer and then at one point a friend of mine that was living in berlin told me he had like a vacant room in his apartment and then i moved in and then i just stayed okay
0: so that was in your like early 20s then
1: yeah like 2002 maybe or something i don't know around that time like more or less 20 years ago
0: so, yeah, so you spend half of your life in Berlin, basically. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Somewhere around there. OK,
1: yeah.
0: Yeah, we'll, we'll talk more about Berlin later. But uh, yeah, I want to ask you also about some of the sponsors you wrote for and everything. But I just had a quick question before about basically the way you skate. I've always enjoyed your style of skating very much. I feel that you're like powerful on your board, but graceful with a good trick selection. And I'm sure that you've heard this from a lot of people, but um, I was wondering how important style was for you growing up, like when you first started skating and then the first years of skating, how important was the way you skated to you? Or were you more focused on, you know, maybe trying more technical tricks and stuff? I just watched uh, earlier today, I hadn't seen this part, but you, you skated in this video, I think it was called Limited from, uh, I think 1996, around there.
1: Yeah, that was basically like a sponsor me tape, and then that got turned into a video part.
0: Okay. I was surprised by seeing that, because uh, I, I guess in that video, you're probably like around 20 years old or something, or 19 or something. I recognized your style immediately, but you were doing also tricks that I hadn't seen you do before. Like uh, I saw like a kickflip backside nose blend slide. Uh, I think you did a switch wall ride, like in a line. Mm. Kind of tech tricks like you did tech stuff afterwards, but in more recent times, of course, I, I've seen you do like more somewhat basic tricks, but like really executed well with lots of style and everything. So yeah, so basically, my question is just about like how you developed your own style of skating and how important it was to you growing up.
1: I could give you a big answer, but <laughs> basically, I mean, yeah, I mean, I grew up skating like. With early influence from 80s, like I grew up, or I started, like in as I said in the jump ramp days. But I was like a small kid then. I really wasn't good at skating. I was always like afraid of falling, and uh, I don't know. I was always like in my group of friends. I was, yeah. There were others that were a lot better. And um, in those days, doing big grabs from the launch ramp was like the thing to do, or uh, big bonelesses down whatever shit you find, and. Uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then a lot of the older guys kind of quit to get into Vespa mod culture or whatever what was cool at the time or techno music or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so we were like the, my generation all of a sudden was like the oldest guys basically. And, right, um, yeah, yeah. That was like early 90s and like super high tech skating was like the thing to do. And that was kind of where I matured into skating. So, I mean, we tried every new trick that came up that we saw in the video, you know, like that was like the thing to do. Like you see a trick, you try to learn it. Right. right yeah. You do it once and then never again. But you you do it as until you, you make it once, you know, at least. Sure. Or, but that was the style of skating in, in the early 90s. And so, yeah, I mean, I have to say, I I enjoyed that period of skating at the time. Looking back, it was quite shit I mean like just uh, you know stupid pressure flips uh, that you land like really shitty and uh, but you were like oh yeah I flipped my board like three times wow and uh, and you did it like down two steps and landed really shitty with two kilometers per hour or something (laughs) but um so that was kind of fun for me at the time at least and I was like super into that kind of style because yeah as I said I, I grew up at this plaza thing and yeah I mean totally fit into the landscape of skating at the time and um -hmm. we didn't have a skate park anywhere near like the closest skate park i had really was in hamburg like it was one of two or three indoor parks at the time in germany and we would even travel there like uh, four hours one way and then back at night and we would do that in summer holidays like each day more or less or like four weeks out of six but yeah other than that there was no skate parks really and uh i didn't didn't really fancy going there. Like I was like streets getting blah, blah blah. And um, so that's maybe why I have this background, I could say, of like Tech skating, tech yeah. tech skating. But the older I grew, the maybe lazier I got, and uh, <laughs> the more I prefer to stay on my board and uh, not step off and be economic in your skating or, or whatever. And Strategic, also, yeah. And also appreciating uh, like the simple form more. You know, like just a basic frontside ollie or whatever. Or right. Can, yeah slash grind or whatever but that was like a long stretch of time compressed in the into the beginning and, and the end yeah. basically yeah. Um but yeah uh, yeah I, m- I mean it's a fading of skill and uh, growth of laziness I would say that uh, got me to skate less technical I-, I wish I could still do it sometimes but then again these days I really prefer to do whatever I mean I um,
0: yeah just do something that feels good or
1: yeah basically I mean I could just uh cruise down the street and enjoy it you know it doesn't need to be triple pressure flip <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but, but I mean I was definitely like even like in the 90s like really a fan of i don't know peter smolik or yeah that,
0: that video of the storm did that come around that time like early 90s yeah the
1: storm or... was like i preferred him more like in uh, tsa video days all uh, oh, right okay the storm like osiris or whatever or shorties that was a bit later i think he was a bit beyond his prime maybe or at least for the way i appreciated him yeah yeah, yeah. or his skating but yeah
0: but yeah, you, you wanted to emulate kind of the way he skated in those first videos.
1: Yeah. Not necessarily emulate, but I re- respected like because like, he was when I first uh, was aware of him, he was like, uh, yeah, one of the first guys that did like uh, really technical stuff on higher ledges. you know, like mm-hmm. um, this like early phase of tech skating was like really low to the ground and uh, really shitty. Like hmm. not, not everyone, but most people. And Smolik was like in the mid 90s, doing like flip in, flip out, slide stuff with good style on higher edges. So that was the the difference. But yeah, I mean, like early 90s, there was like this East Coast thing that developed, like with the Eastern exposure videos and. I think yeah it's probably like as many people from my generation would say uh, the formative time maybe like the whatever 95 96 with like Mao's toy machine uh, video, welcome to uh, hell welcome to hell FTC video like the second one Pinot Code Pinot Code yeah mm-hmm. all those videos that kind of like yeah I mean it's like always a bit weird to say but I mean it's just my generation I guess and uh, yeah I keep that close to my heart like all those videos and all that vibe and that era and yeah I think a that. lot of
0: people do, yeah. Even people like I, I started skating a bit later in two Mm-hmm. So I didn't grow up watching like those videos you just mentioned. But I do appreciate them very, very much today. Yeah I mean I for, for I was, what they are, you know.
1: I was listening to uh your Fern Golding uh oh yeah conversation and it was funny to hear like him being like so into all the alien workshop stuff. Yeah. And, yeah. I mean like, photosynthesis and stuff, I could totally relate. It's, like, a sick video, but, like, all the feelings he had towards those videos, I had to, like, uh, public domain, Hocus Pocus, like, power videos, like, HG. mid-generation power videos, early HD uh, videos and stuff. And, like, Plan B, Questionable, was, like, the video I watched probably the most. But, yeah, it's funny to hear those uh, stories because it's mainly... Uh, it's probably, like, an age thing or like, uh, you know, like, you really... Can Getting into skating and then like the first impressions you get and also like probably the age you're at at the time. Mm-hmm. you're like this makes such an impression on you uh yeah exactly that you soak it up like super uh crazy yeah and mm. that was funny to to hear like um
0: farron talking about that yeah, yeah, yeah
1: like him having like the very same uh feelings towards those videos that for me as yes, watching them later with a lot of stuff i had watched before I, you know i it's a different impression those videos make but it's cool because it's the same experience like with a different generation you know
0: Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably skaters that start skating today, they get that same feeling with current videos, hopefully.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what they are, but... uh... I could totally imagine the generation now getting this sensation from or onto skating for sure, but I'm pretty sure it's in a different way because you have so much more, you know, many, many ways of media content that you can consume skating. And yeah, I, I don't know. When I think back to my beginnings, it was like super rare to even find anything skateboard related. Or as I said, watch a video, it was like I had to go to the skate shop and hang out there for, I don't know, hours and Mm -hmm. wait till the guy at the desk uh, pops in the video or have to ask him to do it and blah, blah, blah. Or like, you know, go out of my way to find magazines. And if I found a magazine, I'd, you know, study it yeah yeah exactly learn it by heart or whatever but i mean every generation has their their thing i'm not gonna say one's better than the other it's just no for sure interesting for sure i mean these days kids are insanely good so yeah so that's yeah
0: it's amazing to see I wanted to ask you a bit about, like, your sponsors and uh, about cliché, obviously. And as I told you, I started skating in 2000. Mm-hmm. And the first video I ever watched was um, the first cliché video, Europa. Mm-hmm. So Cliché had, of course, a big, big impact on me. And, you know, for the years to come, I bought a lot of Cliché boards and a lot of S shoes because of Vincent Bressol, who had the first part. So the marketing was very efficient on me and I loved Cliché. It was a sick brand and everything. So I assume it wasn't your first sponsor. You must have gotten some sponsors before that. But like, uh, how did it all start? Did you first get like maybe a shop sponsor, like a distribution kind of thing? Or how, how did it all start for you?
1: Mm, yeah, I mean, I got into being sponsored pretty late because I never really did contests back in the day. And in Germany, that was like the main thing or the main way to attract sponsors. And I was never good at it back in the day because, okay. as I said, we didn't have a skate park. And people that skated the contest, usually I couldn't do all the basic ramp stuff. Basically, I could mm. only do the street stuff. And I was really into trying shit and not, you know, being con, con- uh, consistent consistent thank you at, right, uh, right. at yeah. uh, whatever contest routine you want to have and also like the the dude that i said that had the shop in my town he was like uh, pretty bad at managing his shop and uh, yeah i don't know he moved from place to place and went out of business and he never really sponsored anyone so maybe i wasn't even good when skating was big enough for him to support people i think he, i wasn't good enough and later he was out of business and skating was really really small back then too mm-hmm So, um... Yeah, my first sponsor was I don't know. I went to the U.S. on holiday, or basically with a bunch of friends. Like we, I worked, uh, got a job, um, saved some money, and went to the U.S. in '95. We flew to L.A. and then went to California. Like a friend of mine was staying in San Diego for a year mm-hmm. on school exchange, and um, some friends from my town saved up money and and visited him. But we also took like a road trip from San Diego to San Francisco. And I don't know, we bumped into some people at the Huntington Beach skate park some american dudes that worked at the factory of atm click and new school at the time and yeah those guys uh, that was like a group of friends that came from the midwest of the u.s and chased their dream of making it in skating or in life or whatever moving from midwest to california right you know they went various ways but it was like a community of dudes from a certain area in the midwest and we happened to meet those guys at the Huntington beach park and um befriended them and 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 I ended up going back and forth from Germany, visiting them. Like I went a year after in summer holidays, like when I, 95 was like one year before I finished school. And then I went after I finished my last year of school. And then I went again and always stayed at those guys' place. And eventually that that one guy that worked there at the skate factory, like he um, hooked me up with like a flow sponsorship through. For ATM Click? ATM Click and Arsenal was another brand they, they had at the time and, um, and New School. Mm-hmm. So that was amazing. Like, I'd never had so much, you know, <laughs> skate stuff before. before that. Yeah, and that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they even shipped stuff over here when I was back in, in Germany. But yeah, at, at one point I was back here in Germany and um, there was this big uh, contest, like DC Euro Tour, like the first DC Tour. Uh-huh there was a big contest in uh, in frankfurt and my friend lenny was riding for like the dc distribution at the time in germany there was like a invite only contest and he was like oh yeah you have to come into that contest and blah blah and so he got me in there and i i guess i skated okay in that in that contest which by the way jayel samiento won with some amazing skating yeah, yeah, he's amazing. Back then, and I ended up getting hooked up by the DC distribution then, and they they were also offering to flow me boards from a distribution, I don't know, Mad Circle, I think at the time. I Okay. And uh, I was like, yeah, I don't know, should I stay with the guys from the US or should I uh, go for that option? But like with the whole complete package, I think I opted for that also. I was uh, really close with Lenny, It made
0: more sense for you at the time. Yeah,
1: I went for that and uh, that was a really cool ride. Like they they even paid us money, which was like a rare thing for uh, local sponsors. Yeah. Yeah, but they set up like a European or like a first like a German or German speaking DC team, which was kind of big and at least in uh, Germany at the time. And uh, from there on, I think the Cliché guys, Jeremy and maybe, I don't know, maybe Pontus or someone uh, hit me up if I wanted to write for them a little later. And uh, that's how I got in contact with Cliché, yeah.
0: So that was like, what, in 2001, two, around uh, there? Uh, yeah,
1: 2000, 2001 was when I started writing for Cliché, yeah.
0: Okay. I interviewed uh, Ben Duran a while mm-hmm. ago, like uh, almost two years ago now. I
1: think, I mean, Europa was 99, right? I'm not sure if it's
0: 99 or 2000, because I think it came out the same year as uh, Menikmadi. Fred Martine was doing Menikmadi at the same time as Ben mm-hmm. was working on Europa. And I believe Menikmadi was 2000. I don't know if yeah, it was maybe. the same year, it was around that. Yeah.
1: I got on shortly after they
0: released the first video.
1: Yeah, exactly. That was amazing. I mean, like, uh, yeah, at the time, like, they were, like, definitely uh, the most... uh... Legit uh, Euro brand? or Legit, the most legit Euro brand. And, I mean, European scene was flourishing at the time, definitely. But they were, you know, together with Blueprint, uh, like, the people that took it to another level. So
0: you you skated for Cliché for quite a while, you were of course part of one of their most famous videos Bon Appétit from French Fred, Uh, I think that came out in 2004 and I wanted to ask you just about that specific video, that part, you shared a part with uh, Gigi Rousseau from France I was wondering if that was like a decision from Fred to have you share a part with him and also I just wanted to know if you had picked the song because I I thought it, it fitted your skating, particularly yours, very well What do you remember about filming that video part?
1: Yeah, I mean... Prior, I had filmed with Ben a bunch of things, but like having Fred as like the person to uh, produce or film the video and guide every one of us was like a big thing, you know. I, yeah. Everyone respected Fred, and yeah, I, I mean there was like a thing with Ben that he had left Cliche. You guys probably talked about that in this interview, but anyway, Ben wasn't with Cliche anymore, so for a minute we didn't really know what was to come, and then Jeremy uh, and I pulled Fred out of the head basically and um, yeah it was amazing and a uh, big push and motivation because yeah he had just uh, finished the uh, Manic Mali and stuff and uh,
0: did you feel pressure of having him behind that project or not not so much
1: I mean I wasn't like The youngest anymore There were new people Coming on So I definitely Felt pressure Yeah skating for cliché, Because I mean Yeah yeah. It's a funny topic Because it's like A little shitty Skate career that I had And still No come on I, No but like Compared to like All the people in big sports That talk about Pressure issues You know but Still I mean I'm jumping Forward a little bit Like I got Let go from cliché Later But I was kind of relieved at the same time that that was done you know because yeah there, there definitely was pressure and it was yeah pretty much as soon as I was went pro basically I remember like getting my first pro board and that, that was like at a contest we had in my uh, hometown that was like a street contest at that plaza Uh With all sorts of weird ramps, it was pretty cool contest. But I had like my pro model, like I just got it like a couple days before, and like the weight of riding your own pro model, yeah, it was definitely something different. So riding that own pro model was definitely different because I don't know. I always did skateboarding for the joy of skating or for enjoying myself, not for anything else really. And I felt at that moment that was kind of gone. You know,
0: there was some expectation on you now that you were. Yeah, pro. I mean,
1: probably just I put it upon myself. And Jeremy, they were putting pressure on people But I can totally see why And I mean, it's like their money that, Or like Jeremy's money yeah. that He invested in the company and blah And he definitely needs, you know To see money come back in and stuff Even though yeah. at the time I think he had sold it to Solomon Oh yeah, uh, um, Solomon, yeah, that's right yeah. And uh, and then later that got sold to, to Dwindle But that Dwindle. was after my yeah. time, I think And um, But anyway, I mean, that's Yeah, as I said going back like that little bit of pressure i felt i can only you know relate to with that little bit to people in, in you know i don't know million dollar contracts or i don't know Nigel mm-hmm. yeah, or whatever yeah, yeah. Or, yeah it's crazy it's a i mean it's a it's a trip but it's it's cool to to have having made that experience
0: having a pro board did it uh, become not as fun to skate all of a sudden where you kind of just uh, had this pressure and skating didn't feel as uh, joyful as you said before
1: Yeah, in a way, for sure. I mean, it's especially towards the end. I mean, for Bon Appetit, it was pressure, but like... Yeah, in a cool way I think I was hurt after Bon Appetit and then I don't know it's a different story but I'm um, like yeah you asked how the filming for Bon Appetit came about and how, mm-hmm. how that was and uh, yeah I mean we had some amazing travels like we went on this trip to Greece for example uh, I think that was the first trip for Bon Appetit I don't really remember it might have been yeah. but I mean I remember that trip being super super productive everybody like super uh, stoked and uh, yeah naturally uh uh, yeah ripping everyone giving you know their best and stuff right and um yeah so that yeah, was fun working with uh, fred like he's also like not a person that i don't know forces you to do stuff but if you do if you motivate yourself you, you know it's gonna look amazing you know and um mm. So yeah, it was definitely a lot of fun. But I, you asked if I had any say or any knowledge of uh, how the the video would come out or how my right. part would be. And I mean, we had like some footage checking every now and then, but it was not very much. Like um, I didn't really know what I would see at the premiere. I, I remember I was like a, even a bit bummed when I first saw it because I I thought okay, I have footage for a part. It's not like a whole lot of footage, but I could see myself like having my own part and stuff mm-hmm. and then uh yeah like seeing all the footage chopped up into you know the trips and um just uh you know shared part with Gigi. i was like mm, it's a bit weird but in the end i totally appreciated it but i, I remember at first i was like mm, that's a bit weird but yeah, uh, yeah yeah i mean it came out totally it wasn't amazing traditional at the time exactly it was, yeah, yeah like
0: people had huge not, not huge but like big parts and it was like sprinkled throughout the videos
1: yeah yeah like it's yeah. it's mean, a bit more When I went to the premiere, I expected like a more traditional, you know, uh, structure of the video. And, um, but yeah, I mean, it was amazing the way it it turned out for sure.
0: And so I don't know if you want to talk about that, but what happened with cliché? Like uh, you said you were let go. Uh, Um, Yeah, I mean, basically
1: from my understanding, I'm sure there's different versions of this story, but... (laughs) (laughs) When Bon Appetit was done, it was distributed on VHS, but it was just in the time when uh, DVD DVDs was were yeah, becoming yeah. the more uh, norm uh, media. And mm-hmm. so... First, they were like, okay, like in a year, we're gonna release the video on DVD and everybody should film like one or two tricks for like a bonus section or something. So I tweaked my ankle or something like kinda bad and I was out for like a month or two or maybe even longer, I don't remember. But yeah, I was injured for a while, like in that year. Mm And uh, couldn't really skate. Yeah, and then um, those guys were like, okay, are we going on like a trip? Do you want to come? And I was like, no, I'd rather uh, stay in Berlin and film here. And that's what I did. And um, in the end, they, they filmed like so much that they put out new parts or some people i think charl and lucas and uh, maybe and thibault i think was new no thibault was in bon appetit i don't know it was some new person that got introduced frank okay. maybe frank and stevens not sure oh yeah. someone got on the team and so they, they did like a whole bigger section i i didn't even have that much footage in the end Mm-hmm i don't know i think i had all right footage because most of that was what ended up in my strongest of the strange section oh, yeah. later on but yeah i mean then i think they did the gypsy tour and that was like the first tour i did after my injury or something i don't know i only did like two tricks on that tour i think yeah anyway like long story short i think they needed to make room for new people on the tour and jeremy probably thought i was kind of done or uh or wanted me or wanted people to produce more or he saw the need for more output right and okay. i didn't deliver and yeah then they let me go i mean it was a really big blow at first but as i said at the same time it was a big relief too at the mm. time but yeah it definitely sucked i loved being part of that team but um yeah is what it is i mean i'm I can totally understand like everyone. Yeah, uh, from a involved. business
0: point of view, uh, they needed uh productive skaters uh, so to speak, yeah.
1: Yeah, and in in the end, like um uh, I'm pretty stoked on you know what Pontus ended up making out of the footage I had for that and being part of that strongest of the strange I wanted video. to ask you about because, that. I mean, yeah, yeah, Pontus Pontus had quit a little before me even, I think.
0: Yeah, because he didn't—he didn't have a part in Bon Appetit, right?
1: Yeah, he quit just before the premiere. I think he went on all the trips, but then he—I don't know. I think he was
0: yeah on his way
1: out. Yeah, I don't know. He—I he, think he must have felt some pressure too, and I don't know. Wasn't really on par with uh, some of the decisions those guys took, like Jeremy and Al, and maybe mm-hmm. even Fred sometimes. But yeah, I mean, Pontus is Pontus. He's doing his shit, and uh, that's why people love him. So that's how you ended up
0: in his uh, video in uh, Strongest of the Strange? Because that that came out like a year after, right? Like 2005. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: And, um, yeah, I still think that's, I don't know, I always love watching that video because it reminds me a bit of, like, the first videos I watched, you know. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know, he weaved, in, or he always weaves in, like, references to old videos, like the uh, music choices from age shit videos or whatever, or just little knots. And I, I don't know, I, I totally connect to that stuff.
0: Yeah, that was one of my favorite, I mean, still is one of my favorite videos. The first uh, Pontus film, it was really, really good. Yeah. And so before you were skating for DC and I think Ben got you on Globe, right? Was it Ben that kind of not pushed you, but like kind of convinced you to get on the Globe Europe program?
1: Yeah, I mean, Globe was a bit, I don't know they had all these bulky shoes and exactly. a strange but yeah I knew Ben from Cliché obviously and um, he got the position of the European TM and I, I think um, yeah they really wanted to change Globe's image and yeah that was around the same time um, Apple Yard got put on in the US oh, okay. so um, they wanted to recreate the brand in a way and uh, yeah Ben was the one in charge of doing that job in, in Europe and uh, yeah it was cool it was, it was a cool time we did, we did some uh, cool travel. Ben really tried to hook it up and uh, make a, a good change for, for the brand. Uh, the, for the brand, yeah. And that was pretty cool. Cool times.
0: And what about jart because I, I think that you went to jart after cliche right i don't know if it was long yeah, after. I, mean, was, or... uh,
1: I was a bit so there was some like a year or two i went without a board sponsor and then it was at the time yeah a friend of uh, michi makrotz was team manager at jart at the time and um, yeah he proposed to me or had like a really good offer for a, a good uh, like deal Yeah, a pretty good deal. They wanted to do a video. They wanted to do tours and stuff. So I was, I mean, aesthetically, I was never of the same opinion as the guys at Jart, but it was amazing getting like a ton of boards each month, as many as you want, basically. Oh, really? Okay. With each box of boards, I got like a roll of Jessup grip tape, which lasted me till, I don't know, half a year ago, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Damn. Yeah, so that was cool. And the, the guys that do JART, the brothers, yeah, I mean, they mean well, you know, they, they try to do like a good job with, with their company and, and I try to convince them to aesthetically go into a different direction or art art direction wise, uh-huh. which... I don't know, they didn't really follow, but I mean, that's their uh, decision. Their decision. But uh, yeah, it was cool. I mean, that video we did was uh, like a fun project. I mean, maybe not artistically the most advanced skate video ever, but it was fun travels, Uh, good skating, good people, you know. Mm hmm, mm hmm. And plus, we had a kid, our first daughter was born, and uh, so I I was happy, you know, like, uh, having some additional income at the time, yeah.
0: So, that period of time at Jar lasted until, I think, then what I read was that you unofficially, so to speak, got on Polar in 2012.
1: Yeah, I mean, when when Pontus started Polar, he was trying to convince me to come on. But I was like, um, I'm not the person you need to start a brand because I'm old and done, more or less. I can't, you know, produce footage for, you know, like a brand that's starting. But he was like, no, you can't stay on your And then (laughs) he like uh, made this uh, fake ad, kind of Rocco World Industries style. Uh, He kind of quit me being on your with that ad. That's funny. Yeah, he was trying to get me on, on Polar. I was like slow, whatever, for a while. But I, I told him, like, I, you know, I can't really uh, give you... You the didn't input. want to have that pressure of needing yeah, to perform pressure. at I'm, a pro level or whatever. I mean, I, I, at that point, I wasn't really about pressure. I was. I just told him, like, I'm not the right person that you need. You know, you need people that produce footage on a regular basis and not just like a random trick here or there. And... um mm. Plus, I didn't want that burden, even if it's just like in the back of your head. But I wanted to enjoy the time that I had for skating with like, because at the time I think I was like working, I had started working for Kingpin and had like my second daughter maybe even. But like, I I didn't have much time to skate. So the time I had, I wanted to enjoy and not, you know, worry about getting footage and stuff. So, yeah.
0: And are you still getting polar gear here and there or is it uh, kind of done at this point?
1: They've sent me stuff here or there, yeah. I mean, uh, last thing I got from them was when my daughters kind of begged me to ask for more uh, big boy jeans. And <laughs> 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 But I think I pr- if I called them or like send a mail, they would probably send me stuff. But I mean, I, I don't really, you know, I, I still have some boards here. Uh, that you can go through. Yeah it's going to be like a, a year or two before I, I need more products. So well, that's good. Yeah. At least boards. I mean, other products, uh, open. <laughs> <But> <laughs> no kidding. I mean, I'm really aware of that these days. Like I don't want to spoil my skateboarding experience with the pressure of, you know, uh, putting out or like having to film stuff. If I film stuff, if it happens, that's cool. But I don't want to, you know,
0: yeah, you want to just keep it for the, just the pleasure of skating, I understand. You also had a, like a guest board on Magenta at some point, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think I met Soy like a really long time ago. He probably can't even remember it himself, but I met him like yeah, mid-90s somewhere, like 94 or something, or 95. My friends from my hometown, we did like a bus travel, like with a big bus to Paris. And I think I met him there at La Défense, like skating, like really coincidentally. And um, also, I think I even met like Léo Vernet, who went on to do Chill magazine oh, later. that's right. Uh,
0: with uh, Nicolas Malinowski.
1: Yeah, and those guys. And um, he was also working for uh, Cliché for a while. I did a lot of freelance shooting for Sugar and stuff. And uh, Okay so um yeah like i knew soy and, and vivien from i don't know all sorts of traveling and um i would also uh crash at uh vincent Bressol's apartment in, in barcelona when i was still skating for a cliche and um vivien and soy would stay there crashing at uh maybe paul shire's place or uh i don't know someone bunch of people mm-hmm. that stayed there kenny reed yeah probably kenny reed was probably the link yeah anyway uh, we would hang out there and i don't know when it was raining we played like uh, PlayStation Soccer, Pro Evolution or whatever. <laughs> and um, yeah, that's where I got to know those guys. And uh, when they started Agenda, they asked me if I wanted to uh, yeah, have a guest board. And I was like, yeah, of course, sure. It's like uh, amazing. I yeah, really love what those guys are doing.
0: So what year would you say that you kind of retired, so to speak, from pro skating? Was it like around that time with that fake uh, Polar ad or...
1: Yeah, basically, because that's when like the last contracts I had that you know were got money or earned money from endless. jokes? Yeah, I'm not sure. I might have had like uh, no, I didn't have any other sponsors at the time. Maybe Card still. I don't know. Yeah, probably Card was a little oh, yeah, longer, but right. yeah. but soon after I think it was just like they sent me clothing and stuff, but no, no more money. And yeah, I kind of saw that as like the end of it. Like yeah, towards. 2011 or? Mm, a little, yeah, 10, something around that time. Okay. I oh, don't know, maybe it was even earlier. Yeah, I think it must have been early because I started at Kingpin 2009, I think. Beginning of 2009. Mm-hmm. And I think a couple of days before because that was around the time of the financial crisis oh yeah that's right and every mm-hmm. all companies kind of cut their budgets and uh, that's when they kind of stopped the globe thing and so yeah that went like kind of from one month to the next i all of a sudden i worked for kingpin <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so that was like kind of really the end of it i i, I still skated for Jart, but yeah until as you said probably like 10 or 11 i don't know I, i'm not sure maybe maybe a year more but mm. yeah when when Pontus started Polar that was like my end of uh, oh. <laughs> official okay. pro skating or whatever
0: having a pro board yeah you just talked about Kingpin I wanted to ask you about that like how, how did it all start so you said it was 2009 so you were, you were still uh, pro. yeah do you remember what were some of the first uh, pieces that you worked on
1: um, I mean, I had like uh, written couple articles for Monster Magazine or Place Mac or whatever, like the German magazines here or there. And I knew Nile, who was like the editor in chief at the time, from a couple of tours we, we had done together, like to Israel and Portugal or whatever, like some cliche tours and some random skate traveling. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I don't know. Kingpin was like four languages, so they always had to, um, like all editors were working on a Master Edition in in English. And then the editors translated that issue into their language.
0: What were the four... Uh, it was French, English, yeah, it was German, ben- Spanish? Benjamin,
1: Benjamin de Baer was there for France. Then there was uh, Sam Rubio working for, Spain. for the, doing the Spanish thing. And then there was this guy, David Luther who was doing the German one. And I don't know what happened. Maybe he quit or maybe, I don't know, he had some issue with Nile. Or I don't know. But anyway, like he was no longer there. So... Uh, uh, and I asked me uh, if, yeah. if I wanted to if I thought I could take on the the job and uh, the workload and translating and blah and also contributing uh, with yeah, content I was like yeah yeah, yeah yeah sure and um didn't really know what uh, was coming but uh <laughs> told him yeah I'd, I'd do it and yeah it was fun like fun almost 10 years that's a long time yeah, I mean, last couple of years when, I mean, at one point they stopped print, so that was like a different challenge. I read that was in 20,
0: 2015, that they stopped mm, the print. Maybe it was like, yeah, not maybe.
1: Sure yeah at the end for a year i was even editor-in-chief for the online thing right but i didn't really feel comfortable doing that because i it was like no no budget really and uh everyone had left to free magazine to start for oh, Right. and i was like the only guy left with like a, another uh, person and um
0: did they not offer you to go with them at free or what happened there
1: Yeah, I mean, I I guess like Sam and Sam Rubio and I were like the kind of left out of the equation because they didn't want to do the translation anymore for free. So it was only English.
0: Okay, I see.
1: They couldn't really take on such a big uh, load of, uh, you know... Employees or, yeah. Paying people, so... um, Or even, like, uh, having, like, freelance on the payroll, but... So our parts, like, just contributing um, articles and stuff was kind of too much to take on, so... Uh, i mean i was totally cool with those guys but uh, yeah they had to do what they had to do and i was totally understandable but yeah there was no place for us basically okay Um, but before we yeah kingpin was rad for how long it went
0: it was a great magazine i really enjoyed that Yeah. yeah
1: also like you know working along the sidewalk guys in there like Ben, yeah, Powell. Was cool, cool. Yeah, ben Powell and uh, Ollie Barton that I had met for some cliche travel along with uh, Ben and uh, I don't know like yeah it was cool really really cool time then later on with Alex Irvine as editor-in-chief was also really fun and uh, mm-hmm. yeah cool experience and I don't know the first things I did I don't even remember I mean I think I, my first interview I did maybe was of Stefan Günther maybe like a really rad skater from Germany
0: the name is familiar.
1: Yeah, he was really, really rad, but he hurt himself on a like, motor cycle accident. So, and then he was kind of out of uh, skating for a long time. Okay. Yeah, and yeah, it was definitely a lot of fun.
0: You mentioned free. I saw that you did um, recently. There was this part from uh, Patrick uh, Rogalski, mm-hmm. Rocco, and you interviewed him for free. So, so do you still do like interviews here and there, or content for free, mm. or for other magazines, or is that kind? Was that kind of a one shot?
1: that was pretty much a one shot because i don't really have the time to do it i i, I like doing it I, I i had the offer to interview bill strobeck for like a fashion magazine the other day but okay. i didn't do it because it was really short notice and i i was like oh man this would be rad to do but i would need to you know prepare research and uh, yeah. do some research and i didn't have the time with all the work i regular job i do yeah <laughs> so, yeah yeah, yeah. But yeah, still, I, I really enjoy like interviewing people or like writing stuff here or there. But it's um, yeah, it always takes time.
0: Yeah, for sure. As
1: you know. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's fun. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. Wanted to ask you about your current work at uh, Yamato. How, how do you say in German? Yamato?
1: Yamato. I mean, it's from Japanese basically, but it's, uh, Yeah,
0: um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I figured. But yeah, tell me about transitioning into that. Maybe tell me about first, uh, you know, getting into building spots, because like, I'm sure that must have started years before you even got on the company. Like, how, how did you first got interested in, um, you know, building skate obstacles or spots or skate parks eventually?
1: Yeah, I mean, if you started skating in the late... 80s you started with uh, jump ramps and uh, yeah I mean I pretty much built the first uh, jump ramp uh, the day I skated more or less I mean yeah, yeah, yeah. exaggerating but like uh, yeah I took uh, like a sled I had uh, in my parents place and took some old you know plywood put it on the sled and jumped off so yeah so that was like the first ramp and uh, we would always build ramps that would like collapse after two or three sessions but yeah <laughs> I mean I was the the stuff you did back then mm-hmm. and then later like the first skate parks came up but they were always like so shit like in the early yeah, 90s when inline skating took off and uh like all these companies from outside of skateboarding would uh you know build inline skate parks or skate parks whatever like modules mm-hmm And uh, we would always criticize them and be like, ah, this is so shit, blah, blah, blah. And then I remember one time, like, this guy, Schützi, who started IOU Ramps, big German skate park uh, manufacturer, like, but they they mainly do wooden stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. He's Still around, he's still like doing pretty well and pretty big company, but um, yeah, he, he was like, I have to always criticize, uh, at least you know, be constructive about your criticism, <laughs> and, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. and that's kind of what I took to heart. And then also, there was like this guy that was putting together this DC team, Stefan Denard, who's like a really good skater from Germany, and he kind of worked together with uh, this guy, see and then later 90s to do all the big um, contest parkours and uh, all the, you know, like Munich contest, which was pretty big at the time, and, uh, and Basel. And they would always, you know, design that parkour. And that was like kind of my height of like uh, skating and skating those contests also and i also would always check out the ramps and be like oh yeah this could be better blah, blah and they would always say like yeah at least you know be constructive about your criticism and that's kind of what we took to heart or at least that kind of planted thinking about ramps more and then with the concrete stuff when I went to the Strongest of the Strange premiere, I went to yeah, I went to the premiere in Malmo, and that's uh-huh. when they had their first or second DIY spot in Malmo. The story is told in that video, uh, like the Savannah side or whatever it was. And I skated it and I was like, whoa, this is like so weird to skate and so hard to skate. And but it was like fun watching those guys and really cool challenge to even like scratch the coping, you know, and find, was you know, the lines. Was that the
0: spot by the train? No, it's, it's not the same, right? No,
1: the, the train banks thing came a lot later. It was like a, on this lot where they later built like another DIY spot with a bigger round bowl oski had some footage in it and david and but okay. before that they had another spot somewhere else on that property and uh yeah when i came back from that premiere i was like oh. Need to start that uh, in Berlin, find a place, you know, it sounded really fun. And uh, Lenny and I kind of got really psyched on building stuff. And we started a spot like behind the skate park here, the indoor uh, skate hall. Oh, yeah. Put a lot of effort into that for a couple of years, like just doing the DIY stuff. Then we started like a second DIY spot uh, in Berlin. And uh, at the same time, friends of ours in Hannover started a, a DIY spot that's today, I think, one of the biggest DIY spots that are still around. Mm -hmm. and also lenny and i from being like sponsored skaters and being into building ramps like we i don't know we helped design the indoor park here in berlin and i don't know lenny had had like a indoor ramp in his barn for i don't know as long as he skates so we were always you know like into designing building wooden stuff and but then with that DIY spot transitions into concrete concrete stuff more and more and um had some offers to do little jobs and stuff and um, those guys from Hanover uh, our friends they had started a company out of their DIY spot more or less and Lenny and I would have our jobs but we were more uh, still into being sponsored skaters so we would do all the financial stuff through the company and um, so at one point we were like okay um, we should all get together and join forces and you know make an official new company and then we were like oh should we rename it or should we not rename it and we ended up mm-hmm. sticking to that name and um yeah, and then 2016 we united or we re- restarted the brand uh, yamato with like different people those guys were then like fully on like constructions. I will, I was still working for Kingpin and um, helping out here and there. Um,
0: were you helping out with design? Was that like? Well, your, I mean,
1: uh... I wasn't at the time. I was only like Lenny was also already really good at uh, drawing stuff on on paper and on like uh, with the three D programs we used at the time. And I wasn't. I, I was having like a rough time back then, like getting anything into digital. So I would always just tell him like, do it like this way or send him like, uh, you know, written or like, uh, you know, little sketches and uh, he would like do it into digital. Mm-hmm. And um but we were, would also like be hands on on the construction sites. But for me, I was, yeah, my main job was Kingpin at the time still. So I was only like on some projects, but yeah, when I saw like Kingpin coming to an end and Yamato yeah, growing at the same time, I was like, okay, I'll just, uh, Put, yeah, more move over, move over over, put more energy into that and I don't know, learned 3D programs and um, got more into the design stuff then also like uh, all the brand building and uh, website, uh, social media stuff, all that kind of stuff. Mm. And then we also started a design company to, uh, you know, separate from the building company Yamato. Yamato's officially like a building company. But we right. were, at the time, design and build was like not really separated. Like a lot of the jobs we got were like, okay, yeah, build a skate park for us. But no plans, no nothing. Mm-hmm and as time went on like that got more and more advanced and more and more like a true architect's work and so there was like the need of a design firm or to get our ideas into like proper plans and stuff and our naive idea was okay we set up a design firm and then we build the stuff we do with the design firm with the construction firm okay but if you work for like official uh, you know municipalities if you do like a, a tender offer for them, if you set that up and you want to bid on that with the construction company, it can't be with the same people involved, you know? Oh, I see. You're, uh, okay. You're putting uh, your bid on on you kind of you would know the price before you know because all these official jobs they go with the lowest bidder basically. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you if you know know the price in advance, it kind of doesn't work. So okay. we had to uh, separate the companies so lenny ended up moving to the design firm and i stayed at yamato and i'm in charge of all the in-house design stuff now lenny's working for exclusive design stuff that's more a little bit more into like architecture we do skate parks just skate parks and they do other stuff too okay but we try to, with Yamato, we try to do, yeah, good skate park designs that are like uh, 100% in-house from, you know, design to execution. Mm-hmm. And that's what I do most of the time. So I'm designing skate parks these days.
0: So you've been working with them for a while, but like full time since the end of Kingpin kind yeah. of? Yeah. And so you're living in Berlin, but I read that the company was originally based in Hanover, right?
1: Yeah, the company is still based in Hanover. And uh, yeah, I mean, I before Corona, I used to uh, go there like once a week or once every two weeks. Uh, but yeah, I don't know, since the pandemic i have worked from home most of the time so uh i mean it's good and bad i've i've been used to working from home with kingpin i've been working from home a lot too but yeah it gets lonely here and there (laughs) but at the same time i mean you can you know take your own hours and uh jump outside and uh go for a skate whenever you want to or whatever you do Mm -hmm. so yeah it's it's good and bad but it's definitely is definitely still a lot of fun and a cool group of people to work with
0: did you ever consider moving down to Hanover for that job? Or were you always kind of, mm. no, like, my life is in Berlin, no, I'm not going mean, to relocate?
1: my wife has a, a store here, uh, so that's, that wouldn't be so easy to move somewhere. And uh, my kids wouldn't want to move these days. They're too old, you know, they have their friends yeah. here. But um, sure. if for a minute, I, I consider it, but um, not seriously. Okay. But I mean, it's cool to visit, but uh, I mean, I I still enjoy living in Berlin, so.
0: Tell me about Yamato, like how, how many projects have you worked on so far? And most of the projects I've seen were in Germany, but I was wondering if you ever did skate park construction projects outside of Germany. I think I saw a couple of things in France, actually, for Adidas.
1: Mm, Yeah, I mean, we had a few projects outside of Germany. I mean, some were like volunteer projects, this thing in Bangalore, India.
0: For Make Life Skate Life?
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, That was like the first Make Life Skate Life project, I think. And then we did one in Bolivia. I did a few other things like in Costa Rica, but that was like uh, not through the company. That was just uh, volunteer work. Through the company, we did this thing in Paris, like the Charon skate park. But that was pretty much it outside of Germany. Or am I forgetting anything? I don't know.
0: Most of the focus is on Germany. Then. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. Because yeah, the, the further you travel, I mean, the more expensive it gets. And um, you have companies everywhere these days. So um, it's always like if the further away from home it is, the more likely it is for someone else to be cheaper.
0: And what would you say is like uh, the specialty of Yamato? Like what are they best known for? Like what's their biggest strength as a skate park building company?
1: I mean, from all the projects where we have the freedom to, you know, do what we think is, is cool for the place. Because I mean, that's not the case every time, not with every skate park. You know, sometimes you just have to uh, build what's in the plans. What they
0: want, yeah. Mm-hmm. Or
1: sometimes you don't do the design or something, whatever. But right, anyway, right. I mean, yeah, all this stuff, I design or I design with Lenny is or with our group of people uh, it's usually like we come from like a DIY background uh, so we try to cramp a lot of stuff into a little place and use all resources we have to make something out of it and uh, that's what you see especially with the early parks we did mm-hmm yeah, a lot of, like, quirky ideas, maybe. We always try to think of lines that are maybe not the most obvious, but have something, like, for a creative skater, you know, like, I don't know, not be too cookie-cutter. Mm-hmm. It's probably what everyone says, but... um. <laughs> At least that's you know <laughs> the, the the objective for each uh, project. I don't know. Make it interesting. Make it uh, not super obvious, but easy and fun. I I, I don't know. I also like l- not lately, but like I think we. What I personally always think is cool, some people think it's stupid for sure. I mean, some of the these park builders are like, oh, yeah, it needs to be like super gnarly and super big. And I don't know, I always prefer going from the other end, like make it as less gnarly, but still cool and interesting, you know, like because it's more inclusive to more people all types for more of skaters enjoy, or... I, I prefer some of course also which takes us back to the my beginnings i'm like a street skater i'm you know i'm i'm from you know i grew up skating like ledges and not big transitions and stuff so yeah 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 any transition bigger than like a meter or something is too much i don't, <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't really I, I mean i can skate it but it's not you know where I, where i come from Mm -hmm, so most transitions i see as like help for old bones to get up to a ledge basically you know what i mean like uh, (laughs) yeah yeah, yeah. so um yeah i don't know i i I prefer like this flowy but still streety kind of stuff and that's what i think ends up in a lot of the designs i do Mm -hmm. if it's not like asked by the client or by the locals to go in a different direction but yeah that's what i i enjoy uh, skating
0: I wanted to ask you, that's kind of a side question, but related to Yamato. I was wondering like how sustainable or sustainability in general is, you know, considered at Yamato. Like, because as you know, concrete is not a very sustainable product or or thing Mm -hmm. to work with because of like the sand and the cement that you need to make it. Is that something that your customers are asking for alternative, you know, materials that would be considered more sustainable, more green? Is that something that you guys are are talking about much these days?
1: It's definitely an issue. I mean, customers usually don't really have that on their radar much it's sometimes stuff we bring up working with concrete it's definitely a tough one uh to you know find better solutions i mean mm-hmm. i think there's some developments going on with like green concrete but i don't know how much of real green that is or if it's greenwashing. i mean i i, I don't know mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, from what I see, what we can do is more like uh, not concreting over like green space, you know, that's like a bigger leverage I think for us to try to renovate existing uh, spaces rather than going somewhere uh, taking out trees or whatever or even like Mm -hmm. just you know sealing green space so that's something we always try to do yeah with uh, green alternatives for concrete yeah as I said it's tough I mean I could say the concrete used for skate parks is much less than in housing or whatever but it's yeah definitely still uh, an issue. Mm-hmm. I read something the other day that they're working on like alternatives for the sharp sand that can be added to make concrete but still I mean just the energy that's going into producing cement yeah. is, uh, is by itself it's already a lot yeah uh, that's definitely an issue that we try to think about but have no uh, solution at the moment yeah
0: not yet yeah
1: like some of the people in the, in the company have tried out like some clay materials, but, um, I don't know if at the moment it's nowhere where you can, you know, have a good uh, alternative to have the same uh, attributes as concrete has for scale. Yeah. 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 But yeah I mean what we've been doing here or there is like going on existing old skate park and reusing the asphalt that's there you know and just grinding it down to be more smooth and uh putting in you know like new ramps and stuff you know but um yeah it's a it's definitely an issue these days for sure
0: What about like your customers who usually approaches you for like a skate park uh, project, for example, is it like a a group of skaters? Is it like a city hall who usually knocks on your door? And at what point do you kind of, you know, start working on, on something?
1: I mean, it's, different here and there but it's uh, a lot of the jobs are um, on the market and uh, there's like this portal where you can look into cities that uh, or well basically before that usually it's like uh, skaters that form like a group or go to their mayor and you know like say well we need a skate park blah blah blah, or like start a campaign or whatever right um, yeah or maybe it's parents that say our children need to need a place to skate or our oh, old skate park is you know not up to par anymore or and then um, sometimes the skaters or the locals contact us and we get in contact with cities but mm-hmm. most of the times it's either cities that contact us direct like councils like if they notice okay we need a new skate park they usually need like three offers from skate park companies Okay. Uh and the cheapest one usually gets the job or sometimes it's like they put the tender on this portal and then whoever bids on that
0: the fastest or
1: yeah not the fastest it's usually like a date okay until then you have to you know like submit a proposal Exactly. And then, yeah, it's different ways. I mean, of course, we try to work with locals as close as we can because they know best what they want and they are the closest to their community and thus can communicate with the council like, okay, we want like a proper skate park company or we want even sometimes we want, you know, this company to build our uh, skate park or even to design it. You know, sometimes Mm -hmm. they have something designed by an architect who doesn't, you know, know anything about skate parks or yeah 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 i don't know it's different but it's usually like councils where uh, skaters locals get active and uh
0: try to get a project going
1: get a project going and uh talk to their politicians and uh, rally to get something built
0: Did you um, see like um, an increase in the demand for skate parks since the Olympics? I'm just assuming, I don't know, but that maybe more skate parks are being built worldwide uh, to kind of, you know, have places for skaters to practice and become better athletes, so to speak.
1: I mean, there's definitely a lot of projects in the pipeline or that are like on the market, so to speak. So, yeah, I mean, uh, councils are aware that skate parks are a good thing to invest in. Mm, yeah. But um, I don't know if it's really the Olympics because Olympic parks are like really big skate parks with really, you know, high- Very expensive. Level of, yeah, very expensive and also like uh, skill-wise. First of all, you need like a big, uh, you know, foot surface of, of a surface. Then the type of ramps or the type of obstacles. In the best case, they're like for beginners to professional. Right. But in order to offer that, you need a lot of uh, space. Yeah, I, at least in Germany, I think in France it's maybe a bit different, but um, in Germany, communities don't really do that much. Mm-hmm. But especially with the pandemic I think a lot of councils or communities found out that uh, skate parks maybe even the smaller skate parks or lower level skate parks are a really good way to activate people you know like uh, to get people into being outside and lively and being active yeah. active and um, yeah that, that's really a good way of, of you know yeah doing something a healthy for... lifestyle or, exactly yeah. and um, I think that's uh, what's pushed uh, more skate park projects most at the moment yeah and i mm-hmm. think as, at least here in germany a lot of councils get budgets or fundings from yeah this pandemic reparation funds or whatever you know so i think that's where a lot of the money comes from at the moment mm-hmm. okay the sportive aspect or the high-end sportive olympic style i don't know i don't really see it that much yet okay yeah that might change at in least the next here. few years yeah, we'll see where that goes. I mean, I I watched the like the X Games thing, California X Games or whatever it was the other day. Mm-hmm. I mean, first of all, amazing skate parkour. Speaking of uh, like sustainability, it's a shame that gets torn down straight away. Yeah, but the design was pretty sick. I thought the skating was insane. The event, I think, was a big success. At least I don't know from yeah, sportive aspects. Mm-hmm. or uh, capitalist aspects or whatever. But in Germany, I don't know if that... At least I, I, I could see it taking a while for uh, councils to catch up on that and uh, yeah. follow that trend. I think in France, I, I have the impression it's a bit different because, I mean, the Olympics are in Yeah, they're coming next France year. And, um, plus, I mean, they want to be present, I guess, with French riders. So yeah, I think in Germany, they're not there yet, but we'll see. So
0: what, what are some of the projects that you're currently working on? Are you working on skate parks uh, being built in Berlin and elsewhere in Germany? Like what's like on your plate right mm, now?
1: Unfortunately, not very many projects in Berlin. I mean, we, we've done a little like a few smaller ones Then we did like this spring. We did a nice one with another collaboration with adidas and like the local football club here in the mm-hmm. mellow park, which is traditionally more like a BMX skate park. And we did a yeah, pretty cool project there. But yeah, other than that, not too many projects in Berlin, unfortunately. Yeah, some other stuff. I don't know. We just finished a pretty cool uh, park like near uh, Strasbourg in Saarland. Mm-hmm. Ton of things, actually. What's the next project that I'm looking for? Yeah, a little skate park in Cologne that I'm designing right now. That's a pretty cool project. Um, yeah, always stuff. I mean, a lot of different projects. In a the- lot of different things to hop back and forth. Yeah.
0: Okay. That's something I wanted to ask you, I forgot, but like how long does it usually take from like uh, someone knocking on your door with an idea for a skate park Mm -hmm. until the skateboard actually exists and is uh, accessible to public? Does it take like a year, two years or sometimes longer, faster?
1: really different i mean most of the projects take like a year two years maybe from i don't know people you know pushing politicians and uh, getting funds to skate park opening and probably rather two years but i mean some some are pretty quick too like the one we did this spring was only like i don't know three months maybe Oh, well wow. together, I don't know, like really, really quick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really depends. But that was like uh, privately funded. So that's always a different story. than it know, goes and, faster
0: that way. Yeah. And so we're recording this in August, uh, 2023. What do you have planned for the next few months? Like you're working on these different projects, but uh, what else is on your to do list? And how much do you get to skate also? I see footage of you on Instagram pretty regularly, but like how, how often do you get to skate usually?
1: Well, I wish I would skate more. I don't know. I went skating yesterday, but I um only like a little bit of flat ground. Okay. I don't know. As I said, I, I'm just back from vacation and I went bike riding and I slammed on the bike and okay. cut my shin open. So it's still like a bit unstable. So I can't really... I, I skated with like a football uh, shin pad <laughs> yesterday. I have to be careful with that. So otherwise it will pop open again because I... Maybe I would have needed stitches, but... Uh,
0: Oh, you didn't get stitches? Okay. I didn't
1: get stitches. I just got like the little, you know, band-aid.
0: That's working out so far? Uh, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> time will tell. Uh, time will tell.
1: <laughs> I wish I would skate more. I'm a bit, I don't know, sometimes not super motivated to skate here these days. It's a bit of like a lack of crew I mean, there's a ton of people skating here, but it's, I don't know, I've, the spots that are near, I've seen them maybe too much. <laughs> and for other spots, it's not enough time usually. And, uh, to go all and the then, way there, yeah. And then like one minute from my house, there's a really cool ping pong scene going
0: on. So oh, yeah, I play yeah, a lot
1: yeah. of ping pong there.
0: So you're debating should I go skate or like yeah because it's always easy to
1: go ping pong with skating it's like a bit more effort and um as I said I'm sometimes I'm getting pretty lazy (laughs) so yeah ping pong is another chunk of time that's not used skating. Yeah, and then this bike, I just got a road bike for a holiday that was so much fun. So I'm gonna do some more bike riding too. So
0: How long do you usually bike ride for? Do you do like super long distances? Not not at all.
1: I'm just, I haven't really done any tours. I just started like in Italy where I was because the, the landscape there is like so nice just to go through the olive hills, you know?
2: Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah
1: and uh
0: were you with your family or were you uh... yeah i was with
1: my family but they were into you know hanging out at the beach or by the pool and i was like oh man i need to do something there was no ping pong no skate (laughs) spots we went to the same place the year before and i rented a bike and just went and it was super fun Uh, and i plan on doing that a bit more but definitely still skating a bunch Yeah, in order to skate well, I have to, you know, be in the right mindset. And it's not as easy as jumping on the bike or grabbing the ping pong pedal. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So
0: So before we do the friends questions, I usually wrap up uh, my interviews with the same question with every guest. And it's kind of this cheesy question, but that can provide some sometimes interesting answers. So it's just basically what's the most valuable lesson that skateboarding has taught you.
1: I mean, maybe not taught me, but it's a gift I got from skating is, I don't know, just uh, being able to stay within skateboarding, but with so many different outlets or so many ways of working in it or being in it or, uh, you know, I, 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 I...
0: There's a lot of different avenues that you can yeah exactly. explore like, with skateboarding. Yeah, yeah. exactly.
1: And um, yeah, it's a cool way of yeah being creative in that sense. I mean, not creative as maybe, I don't know, an artist painting or whatever, but like just kind of leading a lifelong learning experience, you know. And mm. I mean, that's something I still also try to do when I go out and skate. I don't know, like I always try to find something new that I want to learn that session or that day not necessarily like a, a new trick but like at least a new line or at le- a new approach to an older trick or, mm. uh, or you know always trying to find something new and i think that's what keeps it exciting and yeah i yeah, try sure. to and i think that yeah maybe that's the thing that, that led me to adopt this state of mind to most of the things i do in life maybe yeah yeah, yeah. i mean i'm really like autodidactic. i mean i finished school but after like i, I didn't finish university
0: what did you study when you were at university
1: English and physical education or sports okay yeah but I never finished that but um, yeah
0: but you were self-taught like everything you do today at Yamato being much, a designer yeah. I mean, and everything you, you were self-taught
1: yeah I mean nowadays people go to skate class and I think that works well for a bunch of people but for me I always thought it's genuinely uh auto-deductive activity yeah I mean at least from my point of view and
0: that's how you learned uh, doing it yeah
1: Yeah, just, uh, you know, as a spectator first and um, you observe and you try to, you know, find the essence of what the people you you observe are doing and um, adopt that to what you want to do. And Mm -hmm. yeah, I think that's probably what skateboarding taught me Okay. to go back to your question.
0: Well, let's wrap up with the friends question. So, okay, let's do this very first one.
2: Hey, Jan just wondering when you rode for cliche do you
0: have any fond memories of your favorite trip you had with jeremy and all the guys that was uh, will Harmon from uh, Oh yeah from Free- okay yeah yeah
1: fuck <laughs> yeah favorite trip i don't know i mean yeah as i said the greece trip was pretty memorable because yeah it was the first trip with fred on board mm-hmm. and everybody was and, and yeah there was some amazing skating going on and yeah i don't know i think it's probably been maybe Kale noski's first trip with the team too and he had the first
0: part in bon Appetit, right yeah
1: that yeah, yeah. Yeah, was a lot of fun also the, the australia trip was cool just because it was yeah i don't know australia it's like the furthest you can go basically yeah and some insane skating also going on The Asia trip we did was pretty sick too just because yeah we went to Japan and Japan is such an amazing country always wanted to go back ever since I never managed to Mm -hmm. yeah really rad country um I mean not that I know much about it but it's I don't know it felt I think it was like kind of a long trip maybe like three weeks maybe more even okay yeah, that was super rad. Like, we went to Japan and um, Taiwan and Hong Kong. And I think that was around the first uh, SARS epidemic. And I remember we were making fun of the mouth covers, like the... Oh, the
0: masks? The
1: masks. Yeah, because yeah, it was really a big thing over there. And, like, here, it was like nobody was really taking it serious. yeah, yeah. And, yeah, yeah. 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 So, yeah, those were cool.
0: That's the question for me, but like who on the cliché team like impressed you the most seeing him skating in person?
1: Well, I mean, Lucas. Lucas, oh, yeah, Lucas was yeah. fucking amazing And to you watch. saw him at
0: a, he was very young, right? When he got Yeah, out.
1: I mean, I think he won like the teenage tour thing, like the contest thing in France. Yeah. And I think he was even flow for cliché before, but that's when he first went with us. Maybe at, I don't know. He was like 14 or something, so really young still. But yeah, I mean, it was amazing watching him, you know, mature and uh,
0: become like the who he is today. It's pretty impressive, yeah. Yeah. Anybody else that comes to mind? Yeah.
1: I mean, on one of those globe trips we did with Ben, there was Gustav Turnerson. Oh wow, really? was like a really young skater and. Pff, even back then, he was amazing. Oh, yeah. he's, in like he's incredible. These days, it's yeah. like one of the best people to watch skate. Yeah, he's a magician. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, those stand out for me. I mean, mm-hmm. ton of other people that were rad, you know, watching. But, yeah. Let's do the next one. So, I have
0: a couple questions from Mishi Makrat. Mm-hmm. The first one is, tell us about this session in Shanghai on the flat bar with Castleberry, Adam, Cell. And how did you like that Kenya trip? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the first thing.
0: The Shanghai flat the bar. Shanghai stuff. on
1: that flat bar. I mean... There was like a trip we took like Michi, Adam Sello, who was like a friend of us that did this Anzeige Berlin uh, scene for quite a while, like a really good photographer. And he had done like a pretty sick Berlin video before Panorama that Willow, I don't know if you know this guy, German skater, used to write for Almost. And right, yeah, of, Willow, of course. Like he had like his big first part in that video. Um, so yeah, like Adam, Michi, a couple other friends went to shanghai together
0: what year was that do you remember
1: i think like 2006 or something maybe okay something around that time i think my daughter was already born yeah it must have been around that time because yeah, i mean footage is in the jarred video some of it okay so yeah i mean it was amazing there was like a ton of spots that were all untouched like everything perfect marble yeah amazing, really difficult to get around p- because no one spoke English and um, it was hard to even tell people where you wanted to go like you could take a cab for like super cheap, but to get the person that was driving the cab to understand where you wanted to go was really difficult yeah I don't know, we we ended up like having someone write out the places in Mandarin to show it to the people, but then we found out some of them couldn't even read like the <laughs> oh shit. Yeah, but uh, long story, um, yeah, we, we found this spot that's like a stair rail kind of thing, mm-hmm. like a bar that's going straight, but downstairs. So it's like a first thing straight, then a little bit, little bit lower straight, and then another one lower straight. So it's like a gap to straight bar, more or less. And okay. um, started skating it and all of a sudden, like uh, from not really seeing any other skaters the whole trip, Caswell, Barry, and, like, the Crux team showed up. And oh, yeah, okay. So we ended up skating the spot together, and it was pretty amazing. And mm. so Michi and I were already skating, and then Caswell joined, I think, and we ended up, like, skating the thing, like, uh, the three of us, and everyone got a trick, and, yeah, it was pretty epic. Mm. Pretty nice session.
0: Is it that spot that, uh, maybe I'm mistaking, but uh, in that jar part, you do a front board to Fakie? Yeah, the, yeah, exactly. Is, yeah, is that spot? Okay, on. okay. Yeah. And uh, the other question he had was like about the Kenya trip. Oh, pfft. that that was not I mean, too long ago, right? That like, was not I, too I, I long saw a video ago. That. It
1: was like, yeah, I don't know, 18 or 19. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I didn't really have much time to skate at the time. But Michi had, you know, he's, he's always traveling uh, and, yeah. and he'd been going to Africa a bunch. And he'd shown me like this, I don't know, West Africa footage, like with really sick spots. And it was like, yeah, come on, let's, I'm going to uh, Kenya. Um, do you want to join? And it's going to be nice. <laughs> it's going to be some spots you can, you know, get away from the boring, brilliant spots. It'll be <laughs> fun, blah, blah, blah. And I don't know, it ended up being like so few things to skate really really difficult to even find a place to you know do some flat ground oh yeah and my motivation to go was to skate spots that i hadn't skated and really enjoy skating and not you know battling for like a kickflip on flat ground or whatever (laughs) and yeah so that was basically the, the story for that but it was cool i mean we met some really cool locals there and um
0: you got some good footage i mean the video looks cool i mean
1: yeah. michi sent me the link to like the director's card Yum did and it's so fucking amazing what Michi delivers on those kind yeah. of trips under those circumstances. Yeah, I mean he's fucking mental.
0: Yeah, he's a special skater. Like he's very productive, uh, super. Yeah. So talented with what he does. For
1: sure. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, yeah, I mean, as I said, I struggled getting anything done.
0: Well, you had, you had some good footage. I mean, you did like uh, the, the tray flip over that I thing. Did, yeah,
1: I did that tray flip, which was probably one of the better tray flips I did in my life. <laughs> but So I was stoked for that. But um, I truly did not skate very much more than what's captured or what went into that video. So I was uh, kind of hoping on, you know, Reliving my uh, childhood skate red days and you know, skating all day, every day on some new spots, and it was kind of the opposite. I was skating less than at home, and uh, everything was super hard to you know, even even find like a piece of flat ground was hard. Yeah,
0: I'm sure you skate that spot together at it's like by a road, and you do like I think a nose pick and mm-hmm. maybe a shove it, five-o shove it thing.
1: Almost killed myself getting yeah, more, yeah. almost run over.
0: I wanted to ask you about that because you got your head like knocked by a car or something. but uh, yeah that that must have been super sketchy, like you could
1: have... saw how, how desperate we were to uh find, find something <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: for sure. That video turned out great, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, as I said, man, so much respect for um the skating Michi does. It's really unique. Yeah, and Guillaume uh, Perimoni's uh, yeah, videos also. are
0: always super well uh, like uh, edited and everything. Yeah, yeah. they're a r- really great duo. Yeah, I agree. All right, so let's do this next one.
3: Hey, Jan, wie geht's my point? Uh, yeah, you can do the game of guessing who I am. It could be fun putting you on the spot. So, yeah, my question is what keeps you inspired when you design skate parks when you build skate parks how do you make them different what is your source of inspiration thanks bye bye
1: yeah so that's julian right
0: I... yes Julian Deichmann.
1: yeah i mean i kind of touched on it before it's i mean i always want to make it special inclusive not cookie cutter and new for me as well as for the people that skate it or you know the locals that will mainly use it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's always different circumstances or different uh, parameters, but yeah, that's mainly it. Just uh, keeping it somehow uh, yeah fresh for myself and uh, for the people uh, yeah, that will use it. And um, I mean, it's not reinventing the wheel yeah uh, most sure. of the time but it's uh i don't know as i said with uh skate tricks and stuff could be just you know finding like a different approach to something small that could make a difference or that could make it interesting or inspiring mm-hmm. i mean that's one part why i why i was stoked on on that x games parkour oh, right. because it was I mean, those tend to be a, a bit like geared towards big impact, uh, yeah, standardized skating. Yeah. But it was still within those boundaries. It was pretty creative.
0: All right. So this next one is from, I'm going to butcher his name and I'm very sorry, but it's a Gernot Kinast. Is that how you <laughs> his
1: name? <laughs> That's funny. I haven't spoken to him in ages.
0: So he told me, I think we met back in the Carhartt days. Ask Jan about one of the most underrated skaters in Europe, Andreas Poberer. Is that how you <laughs> say his name?
1: Uh, Andreas Poberer. Um, yeah, he's this guy from uh, Linz in Austria, same town Steve Forstner's from. Oh, yeah, okay. And he used to skate for uh, like this clothing brand that my friend here in Berlin, that got me to come to Berlin, um, started he used to skate for that and he also used to skate for DC the German speaking DC team and also like uh, this board brand we started just before I got on cliche which was called popular Mm -hmm. but yeah um, he had so like twice as much pop as everyone around and uh, could jump on stuff on ledges that were like twice as high as the ones everyone else was skating I was always skating super fast and with a lot of power and uh, yeah really inspired by East Coast type of skating like uh, Eastern Exposure Riccioliola style skating but a bit more technical maybe Okay. and yeah it was really nice like skating with him always like super nice mellow dude but yeah I don't know his skating got cut short a bit because he fucked his knee at one point and got uh, surgery but the surgery didn't go well or something or he had some problems after surgery and today I think he can skate a a little bit, but always like just uh, for short sessions, and not never really got back to how he the was. But he still, was, yeah. I mean, like a really cool person, and yeah, we did some travel together with that DC team, and else uh, was, was cool, amazing dude.
0: All right, this next one is from we mentioned him earlier, Benjamin Debert from <laughs> Kingpin and uh, Sugar mm-hmm. before that, famous French photographer. So he said, "Dear Yan, you hold the title to the biggest print publication photo ever." And most likely will never be dethroned due to the death of print media. Care to explain where and how you managed such a feat?
1: Yep, I once had a picture in Times of India. Still have it somewhere. We did this kingpin tour to India with Benjamin, who organized it, and um, who was there? Soy, Vivian, Kenny Reed, Michi, and who else? Like a friend of Kenny's Like a US guy I don't know why he was there But he came along I think Mm-hmm yeah, anyway, we went to India to pretty much follow Soy's roots because Soy's dad is from India and uh, his parents ha- have a house there. And um, so we went to Delhi first and um, yeah, I don't know. Then ventured to Lucknow where Soy's parents have their house. But anyway, like we were pretty much one of the first sessions, we found like a wall ride kind of thing that was basically a wall with some dirt to it that kind of resembled a bank. But it's okay, I think it was more dirt than like a proper bank but uh, we started skating it and um i did some wars and more and more people gathered and then all of a sudden like a photographer showed up and started taking pictures of us and uh, <laughs> next thing we know was like a couple of days later it was like an article in the times of india uh, i don't know uh foreigners skating daily roads or whatever the headline okay. was anyway it was like a, yeah <laughs> picture was like a little text underneath and uh, yeah i don't know how how big the print uh, is but i mean must be a ton because yeah, it's sold everywhere in sure. india and uh, it's a big country <laughs> one of the biggest uh, populations in the world
0: so you're you're a huge star in india <laughs> <laughs>
3: that was a cool trip
0: okay i have another audio one let's see
3: Hi, Yann. Salut, mec. Wie Alter. I hope you're fine. I have a few questions. I couldn't make the choice, so you can choose one, but uh, you'd better answer each one. First one would be, do you think it would have been possible to survive in the cliche van or during the cliche trips without being able to speak or understand a word of French? Second question would be, Speaking of style, I've always been a big fan of your style. I was wondering if you think there's a relation between style and personality. And I think for you, that really makes the point between your nice and smooth personality and the way skate. And the last question would be, if I tell you the expression or words, cleaver attack, what do you think that means? Is it something that reminds you memories or you don't remember any of this? I hope you're doing good. I see you skate sometime on the social networks and it's still a pleasure to, to see you skate. Your style hasn't changed. Keep it like this. Bye bye.
1: Well, it's nice to hear. Yes, Ben, the uh, Ren, and uh, yeah, I just saw him uh, selling his planted vegetables on the market on social media the other day. That's
0: right, yeah, 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 I saw that, yeah
1: yeah so i mean question one was um
0: speaking french as a useful uh
2: yeah
1: i could speak a bit of french so for me that was not so much the case i mean i think pontus sometimes really struggled because he was uh i don't know if he understood french but probably not mm. and he he got some shit for it definitely um <laughs> I mean, I had French in school. I in school I could never. I don't know. Maybe it was my teachers, but in school I sucked. But I kind of kind of laid like a a base for a, a foundation for at least communicating. And I think I kind of you know got better with time uh, when and you picked up and so yeah, i always enjoyed it and um yeah as i said for some other it could have been hard like i mean yeah with all the the frenchies and especially like mm-hmm. with the kids like lucas and charles and those guys it was uh, sometimes harder but yeah, i don't know i mean obviously pontus survived too but yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. but he, he quit
1: yeah i mean maybe that was part of the reason i don't know <laughs> but still yeah, a lot of fun memories what was the next thing? Style? Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I mean...
0: Style and personality?
1: It's what it is, I think. I don't know. I don't really think about it much. I skate the way I skate. I enjoy skating the way I skate, and that's really... Yeah. It.
0: You don't overthink it? Like... Uh, no. Your posture? Like, uh, how you... I mean,
1: I look at skate tricks, and I kind of think about how i want to do it and then i want to do it that way and not mm. another way i kind of analyze like okay that's the movement i want to get because i'm I imagine that feeling cool or you know i imagine that being the way i envision a trick should be done yeah and then i want to execute it that way and if i don't if i can't get it i probably leave it or move on to another Yeah, one. exactly yeah. or work on it uh, until i get it but it's more like a choice rather than i don't know some external trains more like a, a feeling thing than chasing a yeah like or an or aesthetic
0: whatever. the way it looks on camera yeah. or something yeah, yeah yeah
1: and the cleaver attack thing i don't know <laughs> maybe maybe it's from yeah i don't know i i think the way i skate i Sometimes I have a hard time trying stuff. I either do it or not do it. So, and sometimes it's like a, it's been a, a big challenge of, you know, finding that first try or getting over like a first try to, you know, something Unlock new or something door, bigger. Kind of. And, uh, you know, yeah, going over that block. Mm. And um, I think once I got there, I was always pretty quick in doing or most of the time pretty quick in doing my tricks. And I think that's probably what he uh, refers to, because I mean, okay, okay, it's I like uh, I think it has a lot to do with like if you can envision a trick or have it in your mind, like completely laid out, you're more or less capable to do it sometimes you just have to overcome the fear and um yeah exactly yeah i I was never good at throwing my board at stuff and just simulating stuff to get closer and closer and closer and if it was like big tricks that gap you know from doing something right away because you know you have it or the gap outside of the comfort zone gets bigger and bigger and bigger you know to overcome Or overcoming that step gets harder and harder, and um, that's probably why I was never—I don't know—really good at giant spots or uh, yeah,
0: like huge uh, stair sets or rails or
1: yeah. I mean, I skated some rails, and like it's kind of easy when you you know practice it on small rails and then work your way up. And then when you're really good at that routine, you can you know apply it to a bigger spot fairly easy because most of the tricks itself are. I would say easier than like on a ledge or something, you know, like on a street spot usually, or like, I mean, rails are street spots too, but like Mm. usually to get something on a ledge, you have to be more precise than just going fast and jumping down onto a rail or something. But the fear factor is much bigger. And um, of course, and uh, yeah, maybe that's something you refer to because I sometimes, or a lot of times had to battle that. And once I did, I was like, okay.
2: Yeah
0: super focused and got the trick pretty fast. Okay. Yeah. So you you wouldn't battle for hours for a specific no, trick? No, not right? really. Okay. I mean,
1: it happened sometimes, but it was...
0: But it wasn't like the norm. Okay. Yeah.
1: I mean, for example, there was this Switch 5.0 I do on a rail in Paris in...
0: Yeah. In the Bon Appétit part, right? In Bon Appétit. Yeah. I actually, I live very close to that. I'm, I'm like a 10 minute walk <laughs> from there. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I struggled with even attempting for more than an hour probably without jumping on it once. And then I did it in two tries or something or three wow. tries. But like that first try was like so hard to, yeah, the hardest to get to done. overcome because I could never get myself to simulate, you know, like to mm. just feel it out. Because I always like in my mind, I would always have to go all in. Mm. But, you know, jumping into the cold water, going all in on something that's so new is like a much bigger leap than. Sure. Yeah.
0: OK, this one is from Bertrand Trichet. Mm-hmm. So he said football slash soccer or cycling. And he added, Jan has loved soccer since ever, but has been progressively picking up cycling. And we did mention (laughs) cycling earlier.
1: Yeah, I mean, football is like, I guess, most kids from Europe, especially our generation, or maybe at least half of the kids or boys from our generation more, uh, first love is football, right? I mean, and I was super into football as a kid, but yeah, found skating and was really turned off from football at, like, I don't know, 13, 14, due to, like, you know, going to football, co- or having a coach practice, and uh, practice, yeah, yeah. blah, blah, And I don't know, I kind of got back into it or into, yeah, playing a bit, I don't know, mid-20s, late-20s, and then, I don't know, I still do play here or there, like, uh, I don't know, we're in this, like, senior... We have this thing, like, once a week, but I don't go every week, and we okay. don't do like competition is just to we're in the club to you know get the field mm-hmm, mm-hmm. get like two hours a week on the on the pitch always fun but I get hurt playing football more than uh then skating. skating plus I'd never really train or run or whatever so I'm always sore for at least like a day or two or maybe three sometimes so I told you there's ping pong there's uh, riding the bike then, uh, then you have the to football. be
0: strategic with what you pick uh, yeah, yeah sure. i have
1: to um choose my battles exactly yeah. not battles i uh, don't want to have battles i just want you know like my activities and um yeah i don't know i i enjoy it every now and then but It's Mm. been getting a bit less, but I still love watching football. I could just stand next to like a pitch watching some kids play or just meditative. So you still
0: enjoy it very much, yeah. Yeah, I mean,
1: not like religiously, but um, whenever I get the opportunity, I rather watch than not. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And cycling, I could see myself get more into cycling. I was always like, uh, that's something I I have all my life for. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. But, uh, yeah, I've been following some races here and there. I couldn't see myself race, but, like, uh, doing more riding and more, I don't know, as I said, I could see myself doing, like, some skate slash bike tour thing. And, yeah, yeah, as I said, riding in Italy, going up and down, like, the mountains was so much fun. I could see myself doing that more, yeah, for sure.
0: All right, so this next one is from Niall Neeson. Oh, sick. (laughs) So he said, was Bon Appetit the highest point of European skate culture?
1: The highest point? I don't know. I wouldn't say so. I mean...
0: It was a pivotal moment for sure, but...
1: Yeah, maybe pivotal moment, but the highest point? No, I, wouldn't, I don't agree. I mean, there's so many amazing things coming out of Europe and people do so much amazing stuff. And I don't know, amazing other brands that emerged and amazing skaters and I don't know.
0: It was an important video because as you said, like Fred had just done the two previous like big videos and cliche was the brand in Europe. And so I guess in that sense, it was like a highly anticipated video, great team, very creative, a lot of amazing skating. And it was like probably the first video of that weight from Europe. It was like a, a very strong challenger for American brands. Europa was the first one, but I don't think it was as uh, big as Bon Appétit, the impact it had, like, especially in the U.S.
1: No, I agree. But still, I, I think uh, there's a ton of other, th- you know, I mean, just, you know, Polar or Pale, yeah. So, I mean, that
0: came later, but yeah, for sure, sour, yeah. you
1: know, like there's so many other amazing things or poetic or magenta, or there's so many other cool things that came out of Europe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so I wouldn't say it's like the best thing, the highest point or the highest point. That's a bit, a bit much.
0: Okay, I have a last audio one. Hey
3: Jan, what's up? Can you tell us a little bit about the, your experience of trains in India? Maybe the precision of timetables compared to Germany?
1: (laughs) I mean, I heard it was soy, but I couldn't really understand what he said.
0: He said, uh, what was your experience of trains in India?
1: Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, we went on these overnight trains and, uh, I was. Really amazing. Actually, I did a couple of overnight train tours with Vivian and Soy and Michi and those guys. Went to Budapest also Mm. and I don't know where else. But um, yeah, I mean, that that was crazy. I mean, like super packed train stations. Like, I don't think I'd ever seen so many people in one place. And then half of those people even got on our train. You know, the train was like... Packed. Mega packed. People hanging outside sitting on the roof and <laughs> yeah, yeah. that was when we went to from Delhi to Lucknow and on the way back the train was supposed to start in Lucknow and take us back to Delhi so it was starting there and it was a day or so late from the start like we arrived at oh, the, okay. like a, a little like a, maybe an hour or so before the train was supposed to go and then they told us no the train is not here it's tomorrow you know <laughs> <laughs> wow and there was like cows eating trash in the train station uh, from the rails yeah it was pretty (laughs) mental but still fun and um, good times really really nice uh, chai tea in the trains that was served yeah amazing experience
0: this next one is from uh, Johannes Schön, who's like one of the founders of um, Pocket Skate Mag. Yeah. So he said, Was it a conscious decision to keep working on things related to skateboarding? What would you do these days if you would have chosen a career path outside of skating?
1: No, it's a tough one. I mean, it's partially conscious decision and partially ways of water, so to speak. You know, you go with the flow or go where you have the least, uh, resistance, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't know. It's a pretty uh, philosophical thing. I mean, like you can always look at it from different, you know, angles. Sure. It's either destiny or it's using the best of your experience or it's being afraid to leave your comfort zone for uh, mm. something new or limiting yourself to uh, one spectrum of what you're capable of. Or I don't know. I mean, I really couldn't say. hmm On the other hand, I'm really, really comfortable and happy and thankful for where I'm at and really enjoy uh, where I landed myself. Yeah,
0: yeah, where skateboarding brought you. Yeah. This next one. So this guy is, uh, I found him on Instagram and he's a friend. I'm, I'm not sure if he works with you at Yamato. I think his name is Valerie at Val Rose. On no, Valerie
1: Rose Marco. no, he's a local for Berlin.
0: Right, right. OK, so Berlin local. So he said, hey, Jan, back in the days, I got to know your name through Monster Skateboarding magazine. By now I'm grateful to have you as a friend and reliable skate companion. On one of your interview portraits by Helge Chalm, you are pictured with a little stream of blood coming out of your nose. Just curious how this came about. (laughs) Ha, that's a
1: question I'm asking myself too. Yeah, Helge Chan was this really influential photographer from Germany who used to do 99.9% of the photos that went into Monster Magazine for, I don't know, one and a half decades, I would say maybe wow. more okay yeah he was like kind of the gateway to magazines or Monster magazine but that was the only magazine at the time a little later limited magazine started too but at the time Monster was like the only magazine and um, yeah if, if he was like keen on shooting people that meant they would get into the magazine and they were good at skating basically uh, with Helge like he, he was like a maniac like he lived in Cologne and he he would always take his car and drive to somewhere and then take like a couple of guys or just one guy maybe and shoot with those guys and then probably drive back or drive somewhere else he would always be on the road like crazy shooting missions and um but he would also um push people in in a really good way so he was like uh, if he was in town he you were like okay today it's on you know i have to uh,
0: step up my game i
1: have to step it up and uh, think of stuff beforehand because you, would of course back then you would always you know make plans a couple of days or weeks in advance and um find spots to go to with him and um and then yeah you know make it happen when you, when you was there Mm-hmm. so um yeah that photo vala is referring to is uh, like i think from my second monster interview and it was basically just Helge, hey come on you i have this crazy idea but we're gonna shoot this portrait blah blah. i think the interview was done and we only needed a portrait okay to this day i don't know i still don't know what he had in mind with that photo i mean <laughs> okay I think it was when the Hasselblad, the medium format cameras were pretty new and he was keen on using it and uh, trying it out in studio environment. And he dragged me in some studio and shot this photo. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. And I just uh, went along with it. Mm-hmm no cocaine uh overdose sorry. stories no uh big slams no um
0: not a gnarly story behind it no yet.
1: no story behind it no fake blood and uh helge's idea you would have to ask him it would be interesting to know but he, yeah he shot like a, around the same time florentine Manfer had a, an interview and he shot him with like a napoleon costume and <laughs> okay it was a bit more funny at least
0: Okay, I have two last ones. This one is from John Dahlquist, Uh from Brigueriette High School in Malmö. So he said, I'm a big fan of skaters over 40 who keep skating. Jan's trick selection has always been sick to me with good basics like a solid noseblunt slide. I wonder if progression is still something he thrives for or is it more about keeping what he has? And also, what does he do to keep skating so good, both mentally to keep motivated, but also physically?
1: Um, I mean, those two kind of go hand in hand. I mean, of course, I try to progress my skating. Otherwise, it would be a bit boring or, I Mm. don't know, like to just maintain what was once there. You could never win that battle, you know. So it's more setting or adjusting what you see as progress Mm -hmm. or what progress means to you. And at the same time, that's what's keeping it interesting and fun. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, just... Setting yourself goals, as I said, even if it's just a different line to the same trick or a different you know line through the park for the same trick that you'd never taken before or if it's I don't know could be really small minor things, but I'm, that could be challenges. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what's keeping it interesting for me
0: and what about like things that you do to keep in shape to skate like uh, you mentioned the other sports that you do like mm. ping pong like cycling a little bit of soccer as well do you do other stuff like i don't know like yoga or or like mm. um...
1: well i tried yoga in like one of the lockdowns and it's cool but it's i don't know it's not something i could maintain i don't know it's not fun enough for me mm. <laughs> at least plus i'm too stiff to probably get over the hump and get it into the groove of uh, making a habit out of it okay i don't know i do all these other things i think to stay fit to skate too but that's not like a conscious thing it's more like um, if i would skate every day i probably could but it wouldn't be fun yeah If I skate too much, I don't have the freshness of the body and not the freshness of the mind. And if I only skate maybe once a week or once every two weeks and not do anything else, I would be totally out of shape. Yeah. And so everything else I do might take away time I could spend skating, but it doesn't necessarily take away quality time skating. You know what I mean? Like I mean, I basically feel like I need to be, somewhat active more or less every day I mean I sit way too much time in front of the computer these days but yeah. I still try to be active some way or another and if I don't get that activity it, I don't know I don't really feel right sure sure I see what you mean and I wish I would skate a bit more and I'm thriving to do that now I have this fucking hole in my shin but uh, oh yeah, yeah. also uh, promised Valle I would hit him up because his girlfriend is gone. this week and now I'm sitting here uh, designing skate parks and doing podcasts yeah you have a good excuse for tonight (laughs) (laughs) but um, yeah all in all I think uh, yeah just being active in general is a good way to go and then once you skate I don't know I I try to enjoy all the time that's kind of also a reason I don't really go street skate too much anymore because I find Uh, if you don't have that much time for skating in general it's harder and harder because a lot of the time you spend street skating is like not time spent on the board but rather looking for sports or driving to sports Mm. or i don't know these days i usually go to a skate park and then i skate for i don't know an hour two hours maybe three hours and don't stop you know once i stop i'm kind of done
0: yeah i think that's a good way to look at it for sure If you go street skating, it's a whole different ordeal.
1: Yeah, it's fun, but you need a lot of more uh, net time, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, this is the very last one from Mark Nichols. Mm Mm-hmm. So he said, Jan, Lenny Burmeister, and Michi Makrat were three of the powerhouses of Berlin skating. When I moved here, the hours I spent with them together on and off the board in the city was absolutely amazing. How has their long-term friendship influenced one another in their skating? They could skate everything and anything.
1: I mean, I've met Lenny really early on in my skating and we've always been pretty close since and he's one of my best friends. And um, I think like, I don't know, around 12 or 13, maybe. As I mentioned, we went to Hamburg a lot and uh, on the train, like the four hour ride one way and then back and that each day more or less. And that would be for all of the skaters in Niedersachsen in the state of Germany like northern Germany basically. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Köttingen is like at one end of the railroad and Hamburg was on the other end so we traveled the whole distance and Lenny kind of lived like halfway and would always join the train and we would all go to that skate park the indoor skate park in Hamburg and that's where I got to know him and then we traveled to his barn that he already had back then and um, there was like actual pros in Hamburg at the time like Jan Waage was one of the the guys who used to be pro for power router back then. Okay and like European champ at one point I think 89 or something and so yeah that was always like a, a big thing traveling to Hamburg so Lenny was yeah like a really big influence early on and we really went like a, a long way pretty much together and kind right. of still do I mean he's now working for a different company but it's we still do more or less the same thing we don't speak to each other as much anymore as we used to when we were in the same company but we still see each other a lot or not not see but like we talk a lot and um, mm. yeah, i wish we we would skate together more but uh, yeah his sun is uh, ripping these days oh yeah yeah that's like the next chapter then but yeah uh, it's always been really fruitful as you say skating and just being around those two basically lenny and michi also yeah michi moved to berlin i don't know i got to know him in in berlin and still a long time but not as long but i was traveling more with michi i would say than i was with lenny so we have some pretty cool road stories and Lenny moved from Berlin um, a couple of years ago, so I, these days well, I don't really skate with Michi because he's always gone or hurt or, or I don't skate or I'm sitting in front of the computer. But <laughs> Even though he doesn't even live that far away, but it's a shame actually. But yeah, I mean, um, those two are uh, amazing to have in my life, skating and also as friends.
0: Yeah, well, let's wrap it up here. Thank you so much, Jan.
1: Yeah, no worries. This
0: was really nice.
1: That well, was fun, thanks for having me.
0: That's it for my conversation with Jan. Follow him on Instagram at C H O R I N E R S T R 667. Go check out some of Jan's video parts that we talked about, particularly in Bon Appetit and The Strongest of the Strange. Follow at Yamato Living Ramps and go check out their website yamatoramps.de to check out some of the numerous skate parks they've built throughout the years. Thank you for tuning in. See you soon for a new episode of Beyond Voice.